Hi, this is Justin. I have a variety of concerns. Everybody gets like all upset about genetic engineering anymore. And the, the reality is it, it has been happening for decades, for decades and decades and decades and decades. In, in some cases, yes, it is not necessarily so great. In other cases, we wouldn't be where we are today without it. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the whole non-GMO deal mm-hmm. is kind of absurd for the fact that in some, to some extent, it's this uh, created mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, so coming from a farm upbringing, farming in the United States would not have survived without genetic modification. Right. So we have a supply of flour that we have because of genetic modification. Without genetic modification, wheat would be small and sparse, and we would not have yields that would either keep farmers doing farming, Mm -hmm. let alone feeding the population. So the very idea that now after decades of creating crops and foods that we have been using for so long, the idea that now all of a sudden, and I know it's not all of a sudden really, but that now everything is, oh, we're we're against genetically modified uh, products. Mm There, there, there's almost a sense, and I don't want to say hypocritical because that's not the right word. It seems too harsh, but we wouldn't be where we are without it. Yeah. Like we would have had, and I, I'm not even. This isn't. This isn't well, we an exaggeration. Without genetic modification, like every banana we have is a clone. It is, and so. that's that's almost an example of bad genetic modification. <laughs> if you listen, uh, so like bananas. This is all from Arvin, of course, too, because he'll go off on, you know, bananas in their original structure are much smaller and they're actually higher in um, uh, nutrients and more flavorful than any banana we have today. Bananas we have today are a pathetic substitution for what they once were forever ago. Yeah. But. I think as somebody who definitely has had concerns with GMOs. I think that there's obviously a line right between like having, having crops that allow us to have like a sustainable food supply on the level that we require it to be. Mm -hmm. And then also like doing God knows what to this organism that then we are putting into our bodies and then everybody's walking around with GI issues and shitty gut health and like all kinds of autoimmune disorders and we have no idea exactly where that's coming from. And I think there's a fair amount of like attention saying like, Hey, it's probably our food. And the swirling lights in Alaska were probably SpaceX. <laughs> like we don't know. <laughs> and we don't, but I think that's why it's scary. Right. Cause it's not like we're eating. It's something that we all have to do every single day. And while like 
yes, genetic engineering is necessary. And sometimes, like, most of the time, probably completely harmless. Like, there are other things that are happening. It's just like, do we really know the implications of that on our bodies? And should we just be going at this willy-nilly? Well, no. I mean, I, obviously, we could we shouldn't be doing dumb things mm-hmm. and you know i'm i'm almost going to like there is a baseline level of understanding that we as a human society should have and don't right. when it comes to things like if you want to ensure that your wheat fields are providing high enough yields to um, support your nation and survive in the uh, you know, complicated atmosphere and environmental situations that we're in, that makes complete sense. But don't go to the point where you're extracting DNA from a mosquito to you know, rebuild dinosaurs. Like, I mean, we have, <laughs> like there, there is... There's a line. Well, and I there's think it's funny because like, there's a line somewhere between making that... sure our farmers survive and Jurassic Park. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously. I think, though, that it's funny that, like, there's a part of me that out of curiosity would support, like, the dinosaur thing to an extent. Obviously, maybe not dinosaur specifically, but, like, some other creature just out of curiosity. Um, much more apprehensive about, like, what... What is okay as far as genetic modification in our foods and what is not? But I think that the underlying thing there is that I don't trust the, like, systems of regulation in our country when it comes to that. Like, in the United States, for something to pass, like, Food and Drug Administration standards, like, it basically just, like, it can pass something and then for, like, decades upon decades has to prove harm before they're like, yeah, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do that. Whereas, like, in Europe... Like, their standard is you first have to prove no harm before they will allow it. Yeah. Well, and and obviously, like, I eat McDonald's and allow my kids to. And I'm like, <laughs> totally will come out and say that. Like, I am hypocritical. Like, I have these concerns. My behavior doesn't necessarily match my concerns. But I think that, like, when you can't trust who's in charge of making sure your food is safe... Like, how are, I don't know. How does that affect us? Well, uh, it affects us in a lot of ways. I mean, there is, there, oh, there's, oh, there's so much. I mean, they're, they're, they're just, so you have a variety of concerns. Um, and I don't, I don't not have a variety of concerns. Have you ever had a grapple? No. They're horrible. <laughs> I, I worked with some people that absolutely loved them. I didn't understand them. Is that they like were a weird. Grape apple? It's a grape fr- flavored apple. Huh. This is where genetic engineering has have, gone horribly wrong. I have had the cotton candy grapes though, and those are really yummy. Oh, that's see, that's another that that's an example <laughs> of it running amok. I <laughs> here I come out, I start the whole thing off by defending genetic modification, and then I'm saying these are the places where it just it's unnecessary. Like this is the, like that that's genetic modification for no other reason other than to do something silly. Yeah. And Brandon's right. Money. Money. But I think that's probably the reason behind all genetic modification. To an extent. Yes. Uh, As far as 
as far as our country's standards are concerned, I mean, there, there are all kinds of things that are problematic. I mean, have you read what's allowed to be in your cereal? I mean, this is the, the right. There are all these. I mean, just the presence of like things. that red dye number, whatever. That's right. Completely. Is it five? Yeah. yeah, it's completely outlawed pretty much everywhere else and has like serious like neurological concerns, but it's in everything. Right. Uh, well, and then you've got high fructose corn syrup, mm-hmm. artificial sweeteners, um, so many things. When I taught when I taught speech 101, because I taught speech 101 for way too long, um, the most common topic and this was early 2000s that I was teaching, um, the most common topic that I got was diet soda. Mm. And the yeah, the aspartame is terrible. Right. Yeah. Uh, just the very fact that a regular soda is ultimately healthier than the diet soda. Right. It tastes better. <laughs> just deal with your calorie count in other ways like going with artificial sweeteners is not, not the, the way yeah, to go I mean, we went through like the late night well the 90s were all about like fat free this sugar free that right and all of those things were just horrible for our bodies well and then there's the the terrifying um natural flavor uh-huh. what does it mean because because companies can get away with saying natural flavor on the list of ingredients without actually saying what that natural flavor is right and i think it was and as long as it's a natural compound right yeah and it is a natural compound but in a lot of cases you don't want to know where that came from yeah (laughs) yeah I think I, I think the example that I heard was a natural flavor that simulated chocolate and the compound came from an anal gland of a skunk. I've heard that. That is That can't be good for anybody no. and it's gross and super disturbing. So I think and I I'm But gonna... also whose job? Like <laughs> <laughs> Job I want to find it. I feel like if it's going to be put in something that is like consumed by the masses, then whoever the first person was who discovered that has to be known and right. like publicly humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> well, there. I mean, honestly, there are a lot of things that we eat that you just want to say. Who was the first person to walk along and say, "Hey, let's try this"? Yeah, humans are creeps. Like, let's pick up a snail and eat it. There's nothing appetizing when you look at a snail. I mean, I guess I could get that. Like, if snail. you're, you know, I don't know. People have Fish eaten eggs. bugs and stuff for a long time. I, I, yeah. I'm less concerned with that than Who other things. Who took the stomach of a cow and said, let's call it tripe and make it a delicacy. They didn't have anything else to eat. They right? eaten everything else. Well, I mean, that's, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, so your, your line of thought on the... On the genetic modification is like we have so much junk in our world that villainizing one seems absurd. Yeah. Because, you know, blank, and I shouldn't even but say it's villainizing also really one. It's really overwhelming say, to identify all of it, too. It is. But 
So doing a blanket villainization over one thing when not every area of that is bad seems counterproductive. Oh, yeah. And I think that's where I kind of get into go up on a little soapbox sort of thing because I grew up on a farm. Like we would not, it was a small family farm. We did not have a lot of acres. We did not have the ability to, you know, modern farms when they go through and they're able to seed hundreds of acres remarkably fast. Like we did not have that ability. We did not have the yields that they do today with some of the, some of the machinery and some of the ways that they're able to do things without genetic modification. My family farm would have gone belly up Mm -hmm. because we just would not have had the yields to pay for things. And, you know, we're talking seventies, eighties, early nineties, particularly when it was really hard to be a farmer. And, you know, genetic modification kept those things going. I think, and I'm going to go big, I, nobody can see me move my arm. <laughs> this, I'm going to do a big pass on this too. So we've got this blanket villainization of a concept of genetic modification because of a few areas where we question. Mm-hmm. Whereas we also have things such as natural flavors, aspartame, artificial sweeteners, high fructose corn syrup, all the preservatives and other junk that are out there in the world that we really honestly don't know what their effect on our bodies is Mm -hmm. other than, you know, to some degree they're making us fatter and weirdly more preserved, but not necessarily in a good way, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's not the same level of blanket villainization of those. So where does this... I think in the circles that, at least the circles that I've been in, involved in it, they sort of lump them together, especially when it comes to food. Like, if it's not all natural, then you don't know what you're consuming, which is probably true. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. Of course it's bad. true. Like, but that's that the doesn't same mean th- that it's bad. And I, and I don't think that... I, I don't think that most people who say like, oh, I'm not going to purchase or consume genetically modified food are saying that they think it all it, that it is all bad. Mm-hmm. I think that there's we talked about this before. There's a lack of availability of information, a lack of understanding, a lack of transparency that allows us to be able to discern which is for sure good and which is for sure bad. And so the safe thing to do is just to <clears throat> cut it out completely because which is virtually impossible. It is super challenging. And like while there are pockets of even certain, the stuff that's labeled that are non-GMO. like judgmental about it, I think being judgmental about it is is ridiculous. But I think as far as like making a choice for yourself, like I can completely understand it. It's like especially as a parent, like who you don't want to be doing any harm to your kids. You don't know what is safe and what's not. So if you just say, Okay, I'm gonna go this other route and hopefully I'll avoid the bad stuff in doing so but that doesn't support like th- that may that is a problem it presents a problem then for the farmers who like are just trying to right yeah so like one of the one of the problems becomes that even the stuff that's labeled non-gmo some of the ingredients come from something that was a gmo mm-hmm. 20 years ago yeah. So you're you're not even getting away from it there. And my 
I've said it before, like one of the biggest, one of the biggest risks we take as human beings is eating out. Yeah. Yeah. Because we legitimately, we have no idea what's going on in that kitchen. Oh, yeah. No. We have, and I, uh, I've worked food service. You've worked food service. Yep. We have no idea what's going on in that kitchen. You can, you have rules and regulations and checkups and all the things that are supposed to make it safe. Those inspectors are not there twenty four seven. No, it's an illusion. Things and slip if you don't by. know that, then you don't now even you know. know if that fork is clean. Like you are, anytime you go out to eat. You are taking a risk. You are taking a risk anytime you are consuming food that was not prepared by you. That you or, didn't grow yourself. Or preparing food with ingredients that you do not have a direct contact to where they came from. Everything mm-hmm. is a risk. And we live in a world. And I don't wanna I don't wanna knock on California because I'm sure California has all the reasons in the world to do things. But I have, so I've I've had to purchase products recently. I've had to purchase a new bed, a new refrigerator, and a new dryer, mm-hmm. and a new car recently. And on all four of those products, and all of them are from different manufacturers and different this, that, and the other, on all four of those products, there was something that said, in the state of California, this has been shown to cause cancer. Yeah, I got a mud, like a facial mud mask the other day, and that was like the biggest thing on it, and it terrified me for a minute, and I like had to make a decision. I was like, I've been really excited about getting this, and I really want to try this, but apparently California says it might give me cancer. Just just don't use it in California. Okay. That's the... <laughs> Because in California, it's been shown to cause cancer. It hasn't been shown to cause cancer anywhere Anywhere else. else. So only if you're in California (laughs) does this pose a problem. It's the sunlight in California. It triggers everything. The sunlight and the smog. Something about their atmosphere and there's a chemical reaction Mm, there happening with their soil. Okay, got it. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, the the point I'm trying to make is that there's so much crap out there and it's all going to kill us eventually anyway. Right. But shouldn't we try... No. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I say this with like, I really want to, right? And I, I say it because I judge myself constantly for like not trying hard enough. Um, but it's hard. I don't judge myself. I know I don't try hard Especially enough. with like ADHD because like I'll go to the store and I'll forget. I'll be like, oh yeah, that's right. I don't, I'm not doing that. Um, I think it's hard. And I think that, it is. you know, and I think it's really unfortunate that like, it is one of the unfortunate things about living in our society is that there's as much as like the anarchist part of me wants to say that like regulation is bad and that we should all be able to like take care of ourselves. Like there's a lack of regulation that leaves us at significant risk that I don't necessarily think happens elsewhere. And that's troubling. I'm going to look at that anarchist part of you, Shandell, and I'm going to say, yes, you are right. We should be able to live on our own. We can't. Didn't we cover this? People are stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Even with all the regulations and stuff we have, we can't take care of ourselves. It we don't have the capacity. We haven't had the capacity to do that for at least five hundred years. It's just so sad. It is. We're just like helpless, lost little baby humans, and the world is a dangerous place. 
Right, but we, I mean, none of this is real. We're all in a matrix, and this is some other creature's AI-generated content that he's experimenting on. Thank God. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, there, there are things that I have cut out for a variety of reasons. I, um, I really like uh, sparkling water for example. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through a couple different brands of sparkling water and come to recognize, because I have a sensitive digestive system anyway, come to recognize like most, um, most sparkling waters, I can't have more than one can. And I basically pinpointed what it is because it's carbonated water and natural flavors. Mm. I started drinking Spindrift. Hey, I'm going to do a shout out to Spindrift. Maybe they'll hear this episode and they'll sponsor us. I started drinking Spindrift, which is carbonated water and actual fruit juice. And I don't have the problems. Yeah. So I've started cutting out, you know, natural flavors, which is very difficult to do mm-hmm. on some grand scale. So at least I've been able to do it with my drinks. Um, I avoid artificial sweeteners, particularly when it comes to my son, because with his ADHD, huh. yeah. artificial sweeteners do a number on that kid. And then I avoid high high fructose corn syrup as much as possible and you know hershey's (laughs) do product placement all over the place on this episode (laughs) has their simply five chocolate syrup which is five simple ingredients no high fructose corn syrup like the regular hershey's chocolate syrup Mm -hmm. it's mostly high fructose corn syrup i switched to the simply five stuff and i like it better my wife doesn't. She like, prefers the regular stuff, but I like the Simply Five. So, so the, I will make small steps. Yeah. But I am also not going to go crazy because you could seriously lose your mind oh, yeah. trying to pay attention to all the little things. Yeah. And I have, I mean, I have friends who like, I commend them, like make the majority of their food and snacks and treats themselves from sources that they can track. And I think it's amazing. I do not have the bandwidth to do that. What's the t- I don't have the time to do yeah. that or the money. Or the money. Yeah. And and there are like, you know, definitely arguments to make about how classist it is to, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think anybody should be judging themselves, but it's hard. I think it's hard in the world that we live in to like not feel like, oh man, I should be doing better than what I am. But I also feel like we wouldn't have to have so much damn guilt if the United States government would do better for itself. <laughs> anyway, the, so the crunchiest place that we lived was Bloomington, Indiana. And I just and we had a small child when we lived in Bloomington, Indiana. Mm. And I distinctly remember the dirty looks that we would get at the playground when we brought out fruit snacks. Yeah. And so it is classist. Like okay. there is, there, there's so much about a lot of this stuff that just is like the the average person is going to struggle with time and money and resources mm-hmm. to be able to strictly adhere to all of these ideals that get thrown out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I must say, like the people who I know who do it successfully again, who like I look up to because, or look like my friends, I'm like, I commend them for it. However, the majority of them do have really intense OCD (laughs) (laughs) or 
or they have been lucky enough to cultivate community that helps them with that. Like they all have their gardens or their small, like their hobby farms and they work together to grow the things that they then share and produce for each other. Oh, see, that's cool. Though. Which is really cool. Um, and so like they don't, you know, aren't necessarily super super wealthy or super rich, but they are lucky enough to be able to have that community to do it. And I think that's what it would take, right? And the majority of us don't have well, it access absolutely to that. Take that. So I have, we're coming to a fork in the road. Yep. Chandel. I have two places that we can go with this topic. We can cover both of them, but I have, I have two places to go. All right. So one, and you brought it up as a topic earlier what is the impact of social media on all this stuff? Because mm -hmm. honestly, you know, so much of this stuff has existed and been around for a very, very, very long time. Is the fact that there are so many people up in arms about it because of the global reach of information today? And mm -hmm. to what degree is that spun out of control? So we talked in a previous episode about how our headlines dictate what we're going to be paying attention to mm -hmm. and you know, things like that. You know, how much of this is just the process of now we have social media posts and headlines thrown out there that are talking about the bad of this, to what extent are they blown um, out of proportion mm -hmm. or, you know, are, are, is that affecting our need for control of this realm? Is it more than necessary? Mm -hmm. And then the other direction that we can go with this, because this came up recently too, and I don't <laughs> remember when preppers, Oh, and I'm going to throw this at preppers because my wife, my wife will rail against this. And I absolutely agree with her preppers who are out there in the world, primarily concern themselves with accumulating canned goods and guns and ammo. It's not universal. Mm -hmm. It's not universal. And I'm going to say that please don't come after me. <laughs> it with is your not large universal. stores of canned goods and weapons. <laughs> <laughs> So the traditional prepper, at least what's normally talked about, and maybe mm -hmm. this is a social media problem too, um, with, with, with prepping is, is the accumulation of protection and non-perishables. Mm -hmm. But if we come to that zombie apocalypse, we're going to run out of non-perishables mm -hmm. and even non-perishables perish eventually. Right. Not only that, but if our hospitals are shut down, we lose all our doctors because they don't have enough weaponry. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my we, best, best friends and I all, often talk about how we have like a pretty good like apocalypse team because we've got like an emergency room nurse. We've got like ex-military. We've got people who like have done permaculture gardening stuff. Sure. Like, we've got the apocalypse dream team, but we're not in the same location. So, <laughs> but, okay. So, the, but that's the example I'm going with. Like yeah. who, who in your group, can identify edible plants who in your group can identify medicinal plants who in your group knows how to cultivate new plant growth to create your own food etc 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 so like there's that 
there's that issue and the way it's connected to this, because there is a connection. <laughs> the way it's connected is the, to this is we have come so far from our hunter-gatherer days to a point where it's becoming a detriment because most of us have no choice but to rely on what's available at a grocery store or at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the breakdown of that, like how how that works a little bit, like the chaos of going to the grocery store and not being able to find your frozen pizzas right. because of a global pandemic or, you know, they're... Or the peanut butter, the peanut butter that you like because of one little salmonella outbreak and then you have to go <laughs> six months without the good peanut butter. Yeah, I, we, I think we can probably touch on the social media thing real quick and then go into the rest of it if I get to choose both adventures because... <laughs> I don't ever like to choose just one thing. <laughs> Call it a flaw. Um, I think the social media thing is a pendulum, right? It gives us access to information that we wouldn't have otherwise, which is fantastic. But also there's a... It is not. Possibly. <laughs> no. Like, we need that, though, no, right? Yeah. And and then there's, like, the other far swing, which is, like, this is too much information and people are using it to fear monger and judge other people and it's right. just creating greater division. And so, and I don't think that too much conversation really needs to be had there. It's a great thing on one hand. It's a terrible thing on the other. Maybe some point we'll find out the balance. Maybe. Um, as we are definitely far too removed from the habits and the knowledge that we need to sustain us as animals on this planet. And that's super scary. It is terrifying. But so the thing that terrifies legitimately, the thing that terrifies me the most is the idea of these preppers and what they're concentrating on. And I lump it into those groups and I know it's not everybody. And I made that caveat already, Mm -hmm. but there are preppers that I know that that's what they're concentrated on. Right. And I think that's it's a very, like, in-the-moment fear, like, okay, like, you've got, like, the beginning of the apocalypse, like, scenario in your head, and you're like, I'm going to have to feed my family, and I'm going to have to make sure nobody hurts them, right? right. And it's, it, it, I get that. I totally get that. Super short-sighted. Like, what are you going to do after that? Right. I mean, we are going to have a serious knowledge shortage when we get to the point where we need it. Right. And that's assuming that whatever this apocalypse is that everybody's preparing for comes during our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, Gen Z and Gen Alpha don't f- go back to their roots of understanding, <laughs> you know, how to, how to plant things or. Man. Yeah. I mean, that generation is real good at wiling out and putting pressure where it needs to be. To get people's attention. Um, I think we definitely need some more gardening classes. And whew, maybe it's their kids. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's their they'll kids. be the disruptor- disruptors and then the next right. generation will be. I need to garden more with my children. If we're if, if Although I do it, think the way that humanity survives things historically on this planet i don't think that even a nuclear holocaust would do us all in i think that there would just be some real wackos left over 
to that's terrifying too. mutate in weird ways. Mostly like, because we have enough <laughs> wackos <laughs> as it is. Like what happens? How does that? There's so many storylines. Yeah. I don't knows? know. Well, this is the choose your own adventure. <laughs> we're, coming, we're getting. If, so, so if you get to choose your own adventure, if you get to choose your own apocalypse timeline, how does that ideally go? I think that I do think that this is a really timely question because I think that things in our society are changing in a weird way. And I think everybody's kind of at the precipice of knowing like, hey, things need to change. It's not working. But we don't necessarily know what we want to change it into. And I think in right. order to get to that, we have to have an idea of like, what does it actually look like if it's working successfully? Okay. So for a second, I thought you were actually proposing an apocalypse to solve all our problems. I don't think we have a choice. Um, <laughs> you're yeah. One person's revolution is another person's apocalypse, but like I, <laughs> wow. That's I've, I've, I mean, apocalypse just means like... I can't say like, I've heard that take before, but I think... Doesn't I, you it just know, mean can, like the end uh, and then like the new beginning? I don't know. What does it actually mean? I think well, that... The, uh, apocalypse would indicate like complete and total destruction. So you can... Like the Dark Ages were not an apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And the Renaissance that came out of it brought us new things. Yeah. But there's always something after the end. <laughs> That's just one of like the laws of the universe, right? Okay, so we'll say but, that I'm not encouraging an apocalypse. And instead, I'm encouraging a revolution. What does that look like? Fine. I don't know. What is our apocalypse? What is our apocalypse going to be? Like, is it going to be a nuclear holocaust? Is it? Is it going to be Climate zombies? Change. Is it going to be alien invasion? I mean, I think it's all on the table at this point. Just gonna get in it all. 2023 it's all on the table mm-hmm. yeah i mean at one like once upon a time those were like fictional scenarios and now we're sitting in a world where like eh, any of that could really happen right. yeah right we don't get any of the good stuff from our movies and books from the past that predicted what's going on now we're getting all the bad stuff yeah i still don't have my drying coat i i really <laughs> like the concept of water world I always wanted that to come true. I think maybe that's what we can blame. If we're looking at like collective consciousness Way and perspective. To pull out an obscure, horrible movie. I love it so like, much. I did too. Like I've seen it a couple <laughs> times. I always thought it was amazing, but it was like critically trashed and is widely regarded as a huge goose egg. But I'm, that that tracks with the rest of my psychology probably I mean, but core sure. memory for sure no i i don't i i have i have very little memory of the movie other than i kind of liked it yeah. i mean it's i we were talking a little bit like yesterday Waterworld about like and what Wild, memories oh <laughs> i remember both of them watching both of those for the first time i mean water water world does seem logistically sound all our ice caps are melting and mm-hmm. you know, the seawater's rising anyway i am terrified by the ocean and i don't eat seafood though so that probably doesn't play well for me as an individual <laughs> when the world becomes ocean you're no longer allowed to be terrified of it. <laughs> that makes me think of like so automatically like the reason or 
Okay, initially. The reason that I'm terrified of the ocean is because of all the creatures that are in it, right? There's like these terrifying creatures that live in the depths of the ocean. But well, what well, that you, brings... You, you understand that most of those significantly terrifying creatures require a certain degree of pressure of in order to live. Like if they were, were safe to, from them. If they were to come up to a level where we are comfortable being, mm-hmm. they would essentially explode. Like they would not... They would, they would die. I do feel relief in that. Okay. Um, I'm glad I could give you some peace. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it makes me recognize how feeble we are as a species that we're just like, oh, the end of every time the apocalypse comes up, we're just like, we talk about the apocalypse as though it's like the end of the world. And we think about these things like climate change and even like a nuclear scenario right and we're just like oh that's it that's it for earth and it's like we are such a small part of like well it's an ego right it's this ecosystem right and it's like we have impacted it in such a negative way that like oh yeah yeah i don't know i do kind of wonder like if there is a place for humans or if the next iteration of life on earth is just like yeah we're gonna do without them like we let them evolve for far too long one thing that I read again recently, not for the first time, it was, I'm not, I'm going to be paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact quote, but the idea that um, the extinction of a seemingly insignificant insect on our planet would have global repercussions mm-hmm. on anything from climate to food supply. Whereas the extinction of the human race on our planet would end up allowing other things to flourish, the rest of the planet to flourish. Yeah. And how disturbing just a general concept that is. Like just an insect that we would consider a nuisance Mm -hmm. disappears and has massive repercussions for all life on earth but the extinction of us and we obviously think we're the most important part of the planet the extinction of us would end up making a better planet right so how selfish are we to be like okay how do we selfish make it better so we can live longer like shouldn't so, so the real apocalypse, as, as we describe it, is not going to be an apocalypse at all. It is going to be the extinction of humanity. Or not even the extinction of humanity. It's the extinction of the human race. Mm-hmm. Man, we went bleak. Holy. <laughs> it's hard, right? Because you have, like, an urge to survive. That's, like, one of the ba- our base instincts that, like, man, our, like, we are good at that. Like, the urge to survive. But, like, when your existence is killing everything around you, like, man, it's real hard to think about, like, oh, why should we keep going, you know? <laughs> like, do everything else a favor and just get rid of ourselves already. Why should we worry about genetically modified foods? <laughs> <laughs> and wrapping it all up. Into where we started. Could we really do more damage? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, also, I wanted to point out that uh, if you 
Well, and it's also not true, but it's true and not true. It's both true and untrue at the same time. So I'm going in three places with this. You don't eat seafood, yet that's your best option for non-genetically modified food. Oh, yeah. Fresh cut seafood. That's like the most natural thing you're going to eat. But for the at most this part. point, it's probably all genetically modified by the amount of petroleum and like, the amount of garbage that we put in the ocean. In the right. Ocean. That's so where I was going with it's just it's not both intentionally true not true, genetically so. modified. Yeah. Yeah. We're doomed. Our our biggest problem is that we get in our own way. Like there's there are so many innovations and so many really great things that are out there that have the potential to significantly impact our lives and the planet for the better. Mm-hmm. And we get in our own way. I think, you know, electric vehicles are a massive example of that because we could have had, we could have had the, technology that exists today in electric vehicles a long time ago yeah like that has been proven time and time again well but nikola tesla had some incredible insights that would have saved us or saved the planet a ton of hurt absolutely yeah so there is all that so the answer is embracing like the hope that the geniuses will come and save it all. Well, we need to get out of their way. Yeah. And, you know, I brought up Generation Z and Generation Alpha earlier, and you and I have had the conversation before because we've been able to work with some really great members of Gen Z oh, yeah. and seen what they have the capacity to do. I think, you know, that's that. So you wanted to leave it on a high note, and here we are. Here's our high note is that we have generations coming that, have a drive and have the ability to accomplish something and maybe they actually will. Yeah. Fair enough. And while they're at it, they need to make sure that they know how to identify edible and medicinal plants (laughs) and grow things on their own and all the things. So there's a ton of really good experts on TikTok (laughs) who can show you how to do that. So, you know, use your social media, the good side of it. Right. To teach yourself those skills. I mean, the funny thing is that a lot of them are actually getting out of the social media realm more so than others. And they are more likely to be out there gardening Mm -hmm. than any of us. So, yeah. It's looking up. We've we've got a chance. It's okay. I mean, we don't. No. (laughs) (laughs) But it's fine. It's fine. Thanks for listening to a little bit of Havoc. Until next time, remember. It's fine. It's fine. I Have a Variety of Concerns is hosted by Justin and Chandel and brought to you by Prairie Fire Studios and More Than Music of Minot, North Dakota. If you've enjoyed this journey down the rabbit hole and would like to follow us down the next one, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review or subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. It's fine. 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 It's fine.